have some fun. I just want to say, first of all, if, uh, I, if you're here and you're, as, as Pastor Torrent just said, uh, if you're new uh, to local church, I just want to say you have chosen an awesome church to come check out. This is such a great place. And the really good news is, is that the guy that should be on Ridland and is not will not be here next week. So that's the really good news. And you can hear Pastor Torin talk, and he's an off-the-charts communicator. But if this is your, like your hangout place where you go to church on Sundays, I just want to say thank you very much. You are an incredible group of individuals. I'm so proud of you. I've had the privilege, as Torin said, to watch you guys from the very beginning, even before you launched. And it's been so fun to watch all that God has done and is doing and is going to do in your midst. This is such a cool facility. Some of you don't even know that there was a facility before this facility, but there was. And this is such a cool place where you guys are hanging out. And I just got to tell you, I think that local church is just at the very beginning of cusp of all that God wants to do in and through you. Um, a, because you're such an awesome group of people. Matter of fact, do, do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, you are awesome. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, you are awesome. Yeah, you are awesome, and God is awesome, and, and not only that, but you are served by an incredible team of leaders. Can we just, uh, can we just give it up to Torin and Jordan and uh, the rest of the team that just make this place just so awesome? I got to tell you, whenever, whenever you show up at a church like this, I, I always feel like, first of all, way overdressed. Uh, number two, I, I, I don't have two, like, my sleeves actually have sleeves. I don't have tats, and so... I don't know about that. And the worship leader had no, no shoes or socks on. So I would start undressing in front of you, but that would get really awkward, okay? So uh, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to pray really quickly. Not because you need it, but because I desperately need it. And then we'll get into this. So God, thanks so much for the people that are in this room. God, there are people in this room that um, are just here checking things out. And quite frankly, man, their, their radar is way up right now. And they're really cautious. And that makes total sense. And I pray that you would speak into their hearts. That they would forget this whack job that's on stage. But they would remember that the God of the universe deeply loves them. And wants to connect with them. And has known them since before they were ever born. And God, there are others in this room. And man, they've been walking with you. They've been in a relationship with you maybe for a year or a decade or a couple of decades. I pray that you would speak to men and women in those shoes as well. I pray that every teen, every young adult, every new parent, every adult that's navigating life, every grandparent, which sent you speaking into their hearts in the next few minutes, the words that you want to say in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So I don't know about you, but I think the number one thing that has reduced marital fighting amongst us has been Google Maps. <laughs> right? Because I, now, many of you don't, many, this still cracks me up. Some of you don't even know that there used to be these things on a wall that had a wire to them, and people called them a phone. It's the most bizarre thing in the world. And now so many of you, like, you've never known, like, a, a, a phone at home. Like, that's just, like, a mystery to you. But, you know, so we've got these things out, and Google Maps is on them, which is awesome. Because here's the deal. In the dark ages, it used to be that, uh, uh, and I don't mean this to be any kind of sexist thing. I, I got to tell you, I'm the worst driver in the world. My wife is a much better driver than I am. 
uh, but I drive most of the time. Um, and so, but here's what happens. Usually when the guy is sitting in the driver's seat and, and, and his wife, girlfriend, or whatever is sitting over there, then what happens is, is that he starts driving someplace, and before the days of Google Maps, what would happen is, is that he'd be driving, and his wife, at some perfect time, would turn to her husband and say, you're lost, aren't you? At which time the husband, of course, would say, I'm not lost. I just really enjoy going around this same block five times. Well, now it's a piece of cake, right? Because all you do is you just put the number, you just put the address in Google, and if you get lost, it's someone else's fault. Okay? It's not your fault. And you don't have to have these fights anymore. It's awesome. How many of you are willing to admit that you've been lost at least once in your life? Okay, now look around. Those people who are not, whose hands are not up are lying and they're in church. <laughs> Just saying. Because whether it's in a mall or out on the street or whatever, we've all been lost. All of us have been lost. We, we've all had places we needed to be at a certain time. All had things that we needed to go. Maybe we were going to a wedding or going someplace. Maybe we had an appointment at some place. We've all been lost. Now here's the thing. It's one thing for us to be lost for a few minutes, it's quite another when being lost turns into a life-threatening situation. I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Lim Poom. Lim was just 25 years old. And although he was a Chinese seaman, he found himself as a second steward on a British merchant ship during World War II. That's why the picture is so old. His ship left Cape Town, South Africa, on November 23, 1942, with a, a crew of 55 on board. Two days later, out in the middle of the Atlantic, they were torpedoed by a Nazi U-boat, and the ship that they were on, the 55 of them, began to sink. He jumped off just before the ship went underwater. And after the ship sunk beneath the ocean, he gasped for air between the waves. And for two hours, all he did was try and tread water. For two hours. Can you imagine that? He was desperately looking for something out in the middle of the Atlantic that he could climb up on that might have surfaced when the ship went down. Eventually, after two hours of just near exhaustion, when he was just about to give up and drown, he saw something in the moonlight, and with the last bit of energy that he had, he swam over to the thing that ended up being a wooden raft. We got a picture of it. And he got up on that, that raft, and he just stayed there and fell asleep exhausted. The next morning, he got up. And what he found when he got up is that on that little life raft were the following things. Uh, a little tin can, and you can all tell this is stupid, right? This is a Pringles can, right? <laughs> okay, but a tin can with biscuits, okay? A canteen, water, right? Um, a, a, th this is kind of funny to me. I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it, because if you're going to put a survival thing, whatever, you, you kind of do this, but uh, flares, a couple of flares, you know, try and attack or attract attention. Now, how many, of you how many of you have a smartphone? Okay, just raise your hand. You, you never get, okay, great. Bring your smartphones out for just a second. Now, I know you're not at a cool, you know, concert or something like YouTube, whatever, and, and, but pull your phones out and turn your lights on for just a second. 
Okay? Now, I know I'm not nearly cool enough that you're going to, you know, whatever, fade. That's cool. Okay. But, okay. Now, here's the deal. Okay? See, that's what a flashlight, what your, that's what your flashlight looks like in 2019, right? Do you want to know what a flashlight looks like in 1942? You can put your phones away if you want. This is what a flashlight looks like in 1942. And that was the other thing on that, on that life raft. So he had a few biscuits, had a canteen of water, a couple of flares, and that obnoxiously large flashlight. And he just kind of rationed to himself that, hey, if I eat just two bites of biscuits a day and take two or three sips of water a day, I can last a month on this thing. A month came and a month went. He knew because he made check marks on the wood every time. You know, they, we talked a little while ago during our, you know, kind of our community time. But what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning before you go pee? Although they didn't say that, but that's what we were all thinking, right? Well, uh, the first thing he did when he woke up the morning before he went pee over the life, for the, over the life is he actually just marked a piece of the wood. So he knew that 30 days had gone by. Four months went by. He finally got to the point where he took the, uh, the flashlight apart, and there's a little spring where, you know, the, where your batteries go up against the other way. So he took that spring apart, and he made a hook out of it. And he took, some, he, he took that canvas that was over him, and he just took a little string from that canvas, and he tied it on the hook, and he put that, and he put a little bit of his biscuit on, the last bit of biscuit that he had on his last biscuit, two-story, put it under the water, and he was able to catch a fish. And he used part of the bait, part of that fish as bait to catch another fish, to catch another fish, to catch another fish. And that's how he survived. And, and finally what ended up happening is, is that he would catch, and, and a seagull would, every once in a while would land on his, and he would catch the thing. Or he would miraculously catch uh, a shark of some kind. I don't mean to gross you out before noon like on a Sunday morning, but the only way he could, because he ran out of water, the only, the only liquid he had was to drink the blood of the seagulls or the sharks that he caught. Now, he survived, he, he was there for four months. I just, I, I just want you to think of your life. If you went back to March 25th, 2019 until today, think of everything that has happened in your life from March 25th until today in your life. Think of all of April, all of May, all of June, all of July. On the 131st day, he noticed that there was more Seagulls ahead uh, on top of him and, and, and more kelp than he had seen. Two days later, on the 133rd day, he saw a sail in the distant horizon. And eventually that little sail saw him and came. And he was rescued on the 133rd day. Interestingly enough, he was at the mouth of the Amazon River. He had crossed the Atlantic Ocean on that. Just before he died, he said... I hope no one ever breaks my record. And no one did until Jose Avarenga. 2012. It's amazing that most of us don't know the story, but it's a true one. Jose is a shark hunter based out of Casta Azul, Mexico. This is his boat. I have a picture of his boat. His typical strategy was to go out for three or four days and catch sharks and return with his catch and sell them at a local fish market. So he ended up going out 
and he was out. I don't, why do you go 100 miles out on a boat that size? Like, I don't get it. Like, I'm from San Diego, California. If you're going to go out on the ocean 100 miles, you're going to have a significant boat, you know. This is what he went out. He was out 100 miles, and he got caught in a storm, and his engine failed. And he had no way. And he literally was out on the ocean for 438 days. Well over a year. Here's a picture of him a day after he landed on one of the Marshall Islands. A little bit different picture. He had traveled 6,700 miles from Mexico to Iban Atul, which is, again, part of the Marshall Islands. Now, at first, some people didn't believe his story. They thought he had made it up. But the University of Hawaii said that his story was actually quite believable. Here's a picture of the sea currents. For those of you who care, who are like buffs in this kind of thing, you want to know. It's actually a picture of the sea currents going from the southern part of Mexico all the way to the Marshall Islands. He survived 438 days, well over a year. So let me ask you this question. Ever been lost to the point that it caused you concern? Some of you might recognize the name Christine Kane. Christine is an author and a speaker and founder of the A21 Network, which is a ministry that's fully committed to stop human trafficking around the world. Christine has written a lot of books that usually typically start with the, the, the letters UN, unsomething, uncommon, whatever. She wrote a book called um, Un, Undaunted two years ago now. And in this book, Undaunted, she, she tells the story of when she was a young adult. I happen to know how old Christine Kane is because she was born about three months after I was. Uh, so Christine Kane is 53 years old. But when she was a young adult, she, uh, she and a couple of her friends, four of her friends actually, uh, she was born and raised in Sydney, Australia. And so uh, five of them took off from Sydney and went to a, another place in Australia where they were going to hang out for five days on vacation. Well, it got to Friday morning. It was their last day. And they all went to, I don't know how many of you have been to Anna's here in Grand Rapids. They've got, I don't know, like six or seven of them now. So she went to a version of Anna's. Um, and they, they were, the five of them were hanging out. And they said, okay, what are we going to do with our last day? And this was four years B.C., before cell phones. And uh, so they're hanging out. And they, what are we going to do with our day? Well, they decided, hey, you know what we haven't done is not far from us is the Dane Tree Forest. Let's go hang in the Dane Tree Forest for a day. No one else had a better idea. I said, cool, let's go, let's go see what we can do. So they had rented a Jeep for the week. So all five of them hopped in this Jeep. And they headed out into the Daintree Forest. Now, the Daintree Forest is one of the, the oldest standing ecosystems that's still intact, kind of like the Amazon, in the world. And so they, hung, they, they went and they hung out in the Daintree Forest. And they were driving this Jeep in the Daintree Forest. And they got to a place where they were driving along. And all of a sudden, I don't know if someone wasn't paying attention. She doesn't really go into the details. But all of a sudden, their Jeep, with five of them in it, went off the side of the road. And the Jeep rolled four times. Miraculously, all five of them walked out of that accident with no broken bones, no internal injuries. They were actually okay, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. They tried to start the Jeep, but the Jeep wouldn't start. So then they decided, what are we going to do? Now, understand, like a lot of you here today, they, they were just, just going to go hang out for the day. So they had, they had short sleeve shirts on, gals had tank tops, flip-flops. They were just hanging out. And, and because they had driven for an hour or so and really hadn't gotten to any civilization, they figured that, look, there's got to be something ahead of us instead of something behind us way back an hour. Let's go ahead and keep walking. 
So they got back to the road and they just kept walking towards them, assuming they'd get to civilization at some point. Well, the problem is, is that they walked an hour and then two and then three and then four and then five. Now you're walking in flip-flops in the middle of what is now becoming a very dense forest. And now, now these five young adults who were just out for a fun time on the last day of their vacation are getting concerned. They're getting concerned because the next day they're supposed to catch a flight to go back to Sydney to go back home. And because it was four years B.C., they hadn't written, I mean, they hadn't called, they hadn't texted, they hadn't done anything to tell their family members, their friends, what they were doing. So nobody knew where they were. And the only time that they would come up missing is the next day when they didn't show up in Sydney, where they were supposed to show up the next afternoon, and no one would really have a clue where to look for them. Because their Jeep was lost in a canyon. So... Christine picks up the the story there. I'm going to read very quickly what she writes. The facts were plain. We'd plunged deep into the wild of the Daintree. It was night, and we were on foot with poor shoes, without food, without water, without protective clothing, without a guidebook on surviving in the rainforest, and certainly without cell phones, and without a clue how to get back to civilization. How foolish we've been, I thought. No one was looking for us. And even when we turned up missing, no one would have any idea where to look. We were novices, tourists out for a fun summer vacation ride. City people with no idea of what we've just exposed ourselves to. And we were in one of the oldest rainforests in the world, home to venomous snakes, venomous lizards, and venomous spiders. Even without those odds, my idea, Christine writes, my idea of camping is more like slow room service. Can anyone relate to that? Like, that's me all over the place. Rather than sleeping in a tent under stars or on the mossy ground at the base of a tree. Exhausted, all five of us got into our makeshift tent and tried to sleep with little success. We kept jerking awake from pain or from feeling the cold. All of us were doing the same thing. Thinking of our loved ones back home, knowing that they had no idea that we were lost in the rainforest instead of being comfortably asleep in our hotel rooms. Packed for tomorrow's flight home to Sydney. During the night, Christine writes, I began to pray, Lord, not another human being on earth knows our trouble, but you know it. Could you somehow rescue us from the mess that we've gotten ourselves into? I'm sorry, Lord, that we were so irresponsible. I know this is no one's fault but our own. We have no one to blame but ourselves. We've been unwise, and this is our consequence. But God, help us. Please, please help us. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where either because something has happened to you or because of the things that you've done that you found yourself in a place where you're just crying out for help. See, there are times when we get lost physically. But even more frustrating is when we get lost in life. You know, maybe the companions that we're traveling with life, through life with, take advantage of us. Perhaps we were very young but it happens to people of any age. We were unsuspecting and we were trusting of people and their decisions of taking advantage of us take us off course. And I know wonderful people who have been taken advantage of and because of that, 
they are left feeling depressed on the inside, alone, scared, for decades, or sometimes an entire lifetime. I'm a runner these days. I don't run fast. You can call me uh, a turtle runner is what I am. But I, I, I want to get a shirt that says, I'm happily married, just nice. I, I'm so tired of running on trails and I come up against a, a person, whether a guy or a girl on the trail, and just say, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and they won't give you eye contact because it's something that's happened in their past. And they're just afraid. Maybe for you, the circumstances are very different. Maybe did, someone didn't do something to you. Maybe you went down a wrong way of life. Maybe you went down some roads and you knew you shouldn't go down them, but you went down them anyway. And the result of that has left you feeling alone, isolated, frustrated at yourself, with a pile of regrets at how you've hurt the people around you. Perhaps you got lost in the pursuit of business or financial success. I know that's getting rarer and rarer today, but there are still some people alive who pour yourself into work with this gnawing sense that your life is getting bigger and bigger, your paychecks are getting larger and larger, but your soul is getting smaller and smaller. And your relationships are coming apart at the seams. Maybe the trail that we've blazed for ourselves is filled with relational and sexual encounters. We assume that the route to ultimate soul satisfaction is found in just finding the right person or the right persons. And we think that they're going to enhance our life. Oh, man, if I can just get married or if I can just have the right partner, if I can just find the right person that's, that, that's right for me, A long time ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, there was this movie out called Jerry Maguire. And there was this guy in it by, by the name of Tom Cruise and this gal by the name of Renee Thilberger. And at the end of this movie is this poignant scene where he, Tom walks into the room and he looks at this gal and Renee and he looks at her and he says, you complete me. And everyone with half a brain wants to go, ha. Ah. Now, i got to tell you, I've been married, in a couple months, I will have been married 29 years, and I'm married way over my head. I don't deserve the wife that I have. I love my wife dearly. But can I tell you, she doesn't complete me. There's no one on the face of the planet that is meant to complete you. The only person that can complete you is the person of Jesus Christ. I was privileged to do a wedding yesterday. I performed a wedding ceremony of this beautiful couple. I mean, awesome. Like, he's a really handsome, no lie. Like, if you saw the picture, he's a really handsome do dude. She's a beautiful gal. And it's so funny because they, they decided not to do a unity candle, but they did this thing called a unity tree where they both dumped some dirt into this pot and watered it, and, you know. <laughs> It's kind of cool because, you know, what I said during that time in the ceremony is that, you know, it, 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 like when I got married, like we did this thing called the unity candle, which never really made sense to me. 
Because you got one candle that's lit, another candle that's lit, and then you both light this candle, and then you go, you snuff out. Does that mean that she died that day? Like, what's with that? My wife is off the charts amazing, and she's spontaneous, and I plan everything. Chris Conrad plans everything in his life. Mary plans nothing in her life. And I love the fact that we're different. But Mary does not complete me. She wasn't, faced, she wasn't placed on the face of the planet to do that. Many people get lost on the road of life. This is the final one I'll mention. They get lost on the road of life by getting addicted to something. And this is no mystery to anyone in this room. And this is not news to anybody in this room. People are dying of opiate overdoses off the charts. Did you know that eight months ago, the Center for Disease Control came out with a study that life expectancy in the United States is actually going down. We're the only wealthy country on the face of the planet where life expectancy is actually going down. It's true. You can look it up on the Center for Disease Control. And it's going down for three reasons, they said. Number one, the opiate epidemic. Number two, liver disease. And number three, suicide. We are literally killing ourselves because of the sense of isolation that we feel. And it's to that isolation that the person of Jesus Christ shows up and said, I have come that you actually might have life. You will not find it in a needle. You will not find it in a relationship, ultimately. You will not find it in how many zeros are behind your bank account. You will not find it in the perfect job as if that exists. You'll only find it, Jesus would say, in me, in him. Now, in case you think, oh, yeah, Chris, you're a preacher. You don't have a clue. Well, I, I understand. I don't have a clue in many ways. Now, I got to tell you, opiates were not my addiction. Porn wasn't my addiction, although it certainly could have been. My addiction was food. I used to be 110 pounds heavier than I am right now. I know what it's like to think that a double cheeseburger from McDonald's can fix everything. I used to remember what that felt like. And many people get lost in life, either because someone takes advantage of them, they go down wrong roads themselves. They, they look for happiness and success in their job or in financial pursuits or whatever. Or sometimes they just look for it in some addictive behavior. And it's to those people just like us that Jesus says, hey, I've come to give you something that will actually fill up your soul. See, all of us, I, I don't know if I just mentioned your thing or not. Maybe not. But all of us have been lost in a spiritual and emotional sense. Like we just all raise our hands. Have you ever been lost? Yeah, okay, I've been lost once. I'm willing to admit it. I won't make you raise your hands now, but all of us have been lost spiritually too. The Bible talks about that in Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament of the Bible. It just says this, all of us like sheep ah, have strayed away. We've all left God's path to follow our own. The Bible calls that sin. I've sinned. How many of you, you're not willing to admit it yourself, but how many of you, you're pretty sure that you're sitting next to someone that's sinned at least once in their life? 
Some of you are like really happy to raise your hands like really quickly on that one. But here's the interesting thing. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Because here's the thing. God pursues us. That's the amazing thing about God is that he pursues us even when we sin. Even when we blow it, God's love pursues us. See, here's the rest of that verse in Isaiah chapter 53 that I just got done reading. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity or the sin that we all committed. See, there's forgiveness in a relationship with Jesus. There's power to heal your heart and your soul in a relationship with Jesus. There's power to overcome addictions in, the, in, the, in a relationship with Jesus. So the question for some of us is, and I put it up on the screen, are we willing to come to the place like Christine did in the story where we're willing to be honest with ourselves and with God about the mess that we've gotten ourselves into and our need for his help? And the good news is, is that we don't have to be all cleaned up before we come into a relationship with him. We can be as dirty as heck and it doesn't matter. God, I am messed up. I have jacked up my life. And he's just waiting with arms open wide. I love you. I love you. Like local church says, we can come to God as we are. As we are. See, the thing about Jesus is that, is that he's the leader of the ultimate search and rescue team that's ever been created. He gladly goes looking for people that are lost. And he rejoices over that. So, no matter how far we've wandered, we cannot wander too far for him to rescue us. And today could be your day. Could, today could be the day you say, Jesus... Hey, man, I've wandered. You know I've wandered. You know I've messed my, my, my life up. I've jacked my life up. I just, man, if there's any way that you can help turn my, my life around. And he's, he's waiting for you to say those words to him. But here's the deal. There's a second group of folks in here. Like, you recognize that you were lost, that your life was pretty jacked up, and you recognize that like a year ago or a decade ago or three decades ago or four decades ago, whatever your, your story is, right? Like, you recognize that? That's like old news for you. So here's the deal. What happens is, is that once we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and we start living that way, then an, what happens is, is enough time eventually begins to pass that we, we slowly forget how it felt to be lost. Back to Christine's story. The next morning as we begin to crawl out of our makeshift tents, we were filthy and mud-caked, and our eyes were bloodshot and dark-rimmed with exhaustion. Though the rain had stopped, we were soaked and aching. And unlike many would think of a rainforest, you think it's hot and steamy, we were there in the wintertime, so we were freezing cold. For an hour that morning, we evaluated every possible course of action. Should we keep walking forward, but we had no idea what was ahead, and we were feeling weaker rather than stronger? Should we wait where we were, but we could be waiting there for weeks. Or should we try and go back? But we'd already come so far. Every option seemed like a dead end. Finally, a guy in our group by the name of Mick said, enough. I'm making an executive decision, Mick said. I feel strong. I'm going ahead for help. The rest of you should wait here. And you're only going to slow me down. I'm going to go for it. And Mick was right in this way. Something or someone had to do something. If we all just sat there, we'd inevitably die. So feeling kind of grim and scared, we reluctantly agreed. 
But first, we decided, the rest of us should move to higher ground. There is a cliff nearby, and just before Mick left, we all told Mick, okay, we're going to go up on top of that cliff. We're going to climb there if we can. And that's what we did. And from our new higher vantage point, Paul, Kaylee, Sally, and I watched Mick retreat into the forest. And then we all fell in silence, drifting into our own thoughts. Nine hours passed. My stomach ached for food. And though it was the middle of the day, I was shivering from the cold. The elements in our exposure were taking their toll. I worried about Mick. What if he hurt himself or encountered some dangerous animal? My mind was having trouble focusing, and I slipped into despair. It would take a miracle to get us out of the situation. And I began to give up all hope for rescue. Slowly, and hurting with each step, I gathered some palm and fern leaves to make myself a deathbed. I spread them out, laying carefully upon them. And now with my eyes closed, I crossed my arms. What are you doing, Paul asked. Well, if our bodies are found, I want to look peaceful, I said. Chris, you are such a drama queen, Kaylee said. I knew she was right, but I also believed that this probably was the very end. I had always wondered how I would feel when this moment came, and I was somewhat surprised at how calm I felt. I thought about my family and all my friends, and I thought about my life up to that point. God, I prayed, I'm so very grateful for the fact that you saved me and allowed me to know you. I really didn't think I would come to you so quickly and so young. I thought you had so much more for me in life. But Lord, I believe in you and I'm ready to meet you face to face. Please be with my mom and my family and friends as they deal with my death. Lord, I'm so sorry we were so careless. I know we should have been more careful, but I can't change that now. Kylie jolted me. Paul asked. I listened. Don't you hear it? She insisted. All I heard was Kylie rustling, trying to stand. She's delirious, I thought to myself. God, how nice of you to give her a hallucination, to get her through the passing from this life to the next. (laughs) Then I felt this slight vibration, a tremor in the trees, and then on the ground, it was followed by the sound of a steady beating hum. I, I rubbed my ears The sound didn't go away. In fact, it was getting louder. I felt a force of air, and I opened one eye. Kylie and Paul were standing, waving madly at the sky, shouting, Here! We're over here! Their shouts and an even stronger rush of air made me sit up and look around to see a helicopter. And Mick was leaning out from the side of it as it hovered just above us. And he he was beaming in in his thoughts and his looks towards us. And I jumped up and ran to the cliff's edge. And I will never forget standing there on the precipice of that cliff, yelling, we're saved, we're saved, we're saved. Overjoyed and relieved and incredulously happy, I wanted to hop up and down. But instead, I froze. It wasn't just a sharp drop over the cliff's edge or my sore feet and aching limbs that stopped me. It was the words As clearly as I've ever heard the voice of God, I heard them that day say this to me. Yes, Christine, you are saved. Remember what it is to be saved. Remember what it was to be lost. Remember the darkness. 
And the difference between feeling carefree one morning and by evening sad and scared and sorry for being careless, remember that I am here. Remember that I want to save every soul. And remember what it is to be unable on your own to get out of the dark. Christine, never forget how lost felt. Do you remember, those of you who are in a relationship with God now, how it felt before you were in a relationship with God? Do you remember the hopelessness, the despair, the frustration, the hurt, the weight of shame? I'm a dad of two teenage girls. You can pray for me anytime you want. <laughs> Long before they were teenagers, I have a picture of them. My wife is, again, off the amazing, off the charts amazing. And um, one time she was going to be out of town for about 24 hours or so, and I was responsible for taking care of the girls. And it was like from a Friday at noon till a Saturday at noon or something. And so now it's Saturday morning. We've made it through the night. Everything's cool. And um, I, I, we decide we're going to go jumping out on a trampoline in the backyard. So I, I'm out jumping, and it looks like I'm going to land on my daughter in that picture, but I'm not. So we're out there jumping on the trampoline, and one of my daughters says to me, Dad, I want to go across the street. Because Julia is a dog nut. I have a picture of her in the middle of the winter with this dog that was across the street. So she goes across the street, and, um, and the dog's name was Yukon, and she's just going to go hang out with Yukon for a little while and just hang out there with Yukes. And she just said, Dad, can I go pet Yukon? I said, sure. So she, she goes and pets Yukon. And as a responsible dad, after about 10 minutes, I decide i got to go check on Julia. So I leave Natalia on the tramp, and I'm going to go check on Julia. And I go around from our backyard to the front yard because our neighbor is literally, literally just across the street. And so I go, and Yukes is there, but my daughter isn't. So I just say, Julia, no answer. Uh, maybe she's inside going potty. So I went inside, Julia. Julia, now I'm a bit concerned. And any parent that's ever lost their kid at any significant event knows what this is like. So now I'm outside. Now, now you got to understand, my neighbors already think I'm a whack job, so I don't care. <laughs> this time. Now, sorry, sound man, you might want to turn my mic down. Now I'm outside in my neighborhood. Julia! Julia! Like, I don't care what people think of me. That's my daughter. Finally, I get my phone and I call my wife. Why do I do that? My wife's out of town. Like, I'm a whack job. Like, I have no idea. Do you have any idea where Julia, I called Mary. Mary, do you have any idea where Julia is? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I got home and I picked her up. She was out with Yukon. I picked her up and we needed to go return some books at the library. She's with me. Uh-huh. And in an instant, I went from like, you know, you, you go from absolute fear to like anger. <laughs> I don't even know who I'm angry at. If something would have happened to Julia, if she had been lost or taken, there's nothing I would not have done to rescue her. Nothing. I'll end our time with this. Christine writes towards the end of her book, God loves each one of us, each child and each parent and each politician and each drug dealer. I think it's interesting that she put politicians and drug dealers so next to each other. 
and each retail clerk and each athlete and each murderer that much more than we love our children, even our spouses. And his drive to save each of us is far stronger than our drive to save our children. God's heart beats for every lost person every single second of every single day. He misses the lost. He misses those who are made in his image who are not in a relationship with him right now. So I'm going to pray. And in this prayer, I just, two things. Number one, if you're not in a relationship with him, man, I just ask that you would consider that possibility. And number two, if you're already in a relationship with him, know what I really ask for you? My prayer for you is, is that you would go back to feeling like you felt for just a few minutes so that you can know how your coworker feels today, how your fellow student feels today, how your neighbor feels today, how the people you do, the baristas at Starbucks, how they feel today, how the people you do life with today. Because, see, we just go through life and we can forget how lost I pray that you'll never forget. Jesus, thank you so much for the incredible, awesome people in this room this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you love them so much. I pray right now that for awesome people in this room that have never opened up their heart to you. And I just pray right now, maybe even in this moment, they would say, God, you know how jacked up my life is, you know what's going on in my life. I just pray that you would come forgive me of the stuff that I've done. I want to try and get things right with you, God. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross on my behalf, for dying for my sin. Would you guide and direct me into the future that you have for me, that you've always had for me, and you want me to live into? God, for men and women that have already made that decision, maybe a long time ago, I pray that instead of being judgmental of the world, instead of condemning the world, that we would enter every day with a fresh sense of your deep love for people that are not in a relationship with you. That somehow, starting this day, we would never again forget how loss felt. And we would love the people around us with reckless abandon to help them come into a relationship with you so that they can know the peace and contentment and joy that we have and that all too often we take for granted. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.